Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, man, every time I come to try and Beaumont, it just gets better and better and better and better and better. And just when you think it couldn't get any better, it keeps getting and better and better. I'll tell you, this is a great congregation. You're led by great pastors, dear friends of ours. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. We just love Triumph Beaumont. Isn't it good to be uh, among friends in a network of churches? Not just the church out by yourself, but that we are together, one church in multiple locations. And so we're just excited. I think I brought uh, half of Sugarland. No, not half. My parents are over here, my wife, all of our kids. We, Bishop and them are going to be filling a little bit over in Sugarland. So this whole row down here is Sugarland. So you guys make them feel welcome. Uh, we're excited. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're watching right now, we invite you uh, to just enjoy this message. It's for you as well as everybody in here. I'll tell you what, I know that I have a message for each and every one of us. This message is something that is burning inside of me. You know, as a, a younger pastor, uh, you know, we are constantly thinking about the future. God, how is it that we can make the greatest impact with our lives? And uh, we're trying to be more proactive instead of reactive. How many know that the body of Christ has been reactive for too long? Uh, when problems come, we kind of react. We, we need to be more proactive and say, okay, God, we see these as potential issues and problems and uh, things that if we address now, they won't be problems in the future. And uh, this message is birthed out of that. As I look at the future and the generations of young people that are coming up in our generation and some of you that may be just a little bit older, uh, there are some concerns that I have. That's right, just a little bit older. Not much, but there are some concerns that I have. I'm concerned that we have dumbed down Christianity. I'm concerned that we are raising a society and a culture in churches that maybe cause people to live Christianity casually. We uh, come to church, we look good, we say all the right things, but yet in our life there is something that tends to be missing. It's like the power of God is not there. There's not a clear uh, deciding uh, figure that says, man, they are Christians. We look too much like the world. Yeah, you go to church, but you look just like everybody else. Maybe that's why our divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. There's got to be something that we say, hey, there, there, there might be a problem. I was driving my car last week, and uh, some of you ladies and men, you can appreciate this. Uh, my check oil light came on. Now, have you ever had that happen? How about the check the tire pressure? I call those dummy gauges. Yeah, Hey, dummy, check your oil. Change your oil. And uh, just as in a car, if you don't do what those gauges and those warning lights tell you to do, you're going to have major problems. The same is true in Christianity. As we see some of these symptoms and we see some of these signs, divorce rate being the same, drug use the same, cutting just like the world, there's, there's not much difference. We've got to say, hey, we've got to wake up and be proactive. And so the message today is in the hopes of us to continue to stay focused. Now, I know that I am talking to a mature congregation of believers. And I know some of you watching, you say, well, I've been in church and I'm a solid Christian. I know that. 
But this is one of those things where we say, God, yep, oh man, that is good. Yeah, good, God, I got to stay focused. Because it's not just about you, but it's about the future and the generations after us. And just because we're there, are you articulating to the next generation to get there? It's about more than just us. It's about discipling those that are coming after us. And so it's good for us to focus on this. So this message is a proactive message to help us engage the problem that we see across the church of the casual Christian life. And uh, to do that, we're going to understand discipleship in a greater way this morning. Uh, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. We're going to start with the story that is very familiar with many of us. It is the story of the rich young ruler. It could also be found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Uh, This, I think, is going to give us a springboard and a key for us as Christians to not be casual Christians, but to be disciples of Christ, to be followers of Christ. So let's join in and, and start in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He's asking a question. My eternity is at stake. What is it that I have to have to get eternal life? He said, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want eternal life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father, your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty good list. We'd be doing good just to get these done in the church. Can I get an amen? Amen. So this man is apparently a good man. He is a man that has integrity, that has character, that lives a life that is well respected. He says, well, listen, I've done all these things. What is it that I still lack? How many know good deeds will not get you to heaven? No matter how good you are, there's still going to be something that is lacking. And so Jesus answers in verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and he says, follow me. Say, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus says to his disciples, he's addressing a paradigm right now that was prevalent in that age as well as in this age. He says, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, the reason he is saying this is because in his time, wealth was associated with God. So Jewish people believe God's favor upon their lives blessed them with great wealth and an indication to the nations around them of God's favor, His grace, and His salvation to the people of God was the wealth that was in their life. So Jesus is addressing a paradigm that is prevalent that says, if you are close to God, you have great wealth. And so He's addressing the heart issue Of this man, and we'll talk briefly about that in just a second. He says in verse 24 Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are 
possible. So we're going to go in. Let me address a few things. But before we do, I think the rich young ruler looks a lot like us. And we could relate well to him as Americans, as people that profess Christianity. The man was humble and sincere. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, And Jesus started on his way, and the man ran up to him and fell before him. This is another version of that account. He was humble in his heart. Another thing is he was rich. How many know Americans, no matter how poor you think you are, you're wealthier than most of the world. We are rich people, a rich society. We can relate to this. He was religious. Well, can I get a amen? He was religious. He knew when to say the wow and the amens and the can I get you, Lord? He knew all the right things. He was doing the right things, but he says, no, that's not enough. He was a ruler. He was an influencer. You say, oh, but Pastor Jim, I can't relate. I'm not an influencer. Did you know that statistics show the most introverted person influences 10,000 people in their lifetime? Don't tell me you're not an influencer. We can relate. But yet in all this, he was still left empty and wanting more. And I wonder in our churches how many people come and and get all that they want, yet inside they are still empty and longing for more. Now Jesus, in his response, he invites him to do two things. First thing, sell all his possessions. Now we have heard this story. How many have heard a message on sell all, give all, do all? It's all about, okay, that's good. I agree, that's great. But it's not to sell all so you can be poor. My God is not a God that loves you being broke and poor and busted and disgusted. He wants you to be blessed. But you know with this man, he is addressing a heart issue. The wealth was the man's idol. There was idolatry in his heart. I truly believe had this man sold all, he would have been ruler over way much more. Jesus would have said, you were faithful to get those idols out of your heart. Now I'm going to really give you wealth. Not only physical, but with revelation. I bet he would have been a key player in the Bible had this heart thing not been an issue for him. So it's not get broke because God doesn't want you blessed. It's get rid of the idols in your heart. So is it money? Is it people? Is it stuff? What is it? Get rid of the idols in your heart. Mark 12 verse 30 says this very clearly. It says, love the Lord your God with some of your heart. Just a little fraction of your heart. No, he says all of your heart. He says everything, all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You've got to know that it takes every ounce of your life. That you have to get rid of everything that would keep you from God. But now once you do that, the second thing, which is what we're going to talk about, is so easily missed in this story. So he's spending all the time on wealth because he is changing their paradigm when it comes to wealth. But then he so casually seems to say these two words. Follow me. And I know I've read it hundreds of times. I've I've read this passage over and over. And so many times I didn't get it. But one day it stuck out. What does he mean follow me? See, I give my wealth and my treasure, but see, this follow me, maybe this is some of the solution to the casual Christian living. 
This follow me. Maybe this is some of the answer that the body of Christ says, man, we've got to stay focused on this, this aspect so that our lives matter. That we make a difference. That when people see Christians, they say, yeah, those people sure do look like Jesus. So I want to talk a little bit about follow me. Becoming a disciple. Becoming a disciple. You wonder why he didn't camp on this. Well, when you look through the Gospels, it's an unspoken expectation of followers of Jesus Christ. So when he was talking, he didn't have to address a paradigm. The people of that day knew what it meant to follow me. They heard it in his speaking. They saw it in his disciples. His whole life was about discipleship. So the follow me, it's not that clear to us in today's environment. We really don't understand follow me. We really, in American culture, don't understand discipleship. But I'm here to tell you, if we can get this, it's not the fix-all. But I truly believe it would help us to launch off a platform to raise up a generation that would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, it was clearly understood in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Matthew 10, 38, and I'm just going to read these quickly. Matthew 10, 38 says, And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd with him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 9, 23. Then Jesus said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, he would deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then he's talking about not only just following me, but hey, listen. As you follow me, trouble's going to come. It's not like a hope or maybe you can find out trouble's coming. It's a given in the Christian life that we're going to face adversity. And so in Acts chapter 14, 22, they're saying strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Why would you have to encourage them to remain true? Because there's distractions, there's hardship, there's trouble. It might not be what they had expected. But then he says we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, it says said that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well we were destined for them. See, Jesus' invitation to the rich young ruler and to us is a defining invitation. It's a crossroads where we're never the same. It is a great cost of discipleship. Now let me give you just a quick disclaimer. I don't believe you have to live broke, busted, disgusted. I don't believe you got to live a defeated life. I don't believe we've got to try to be martyrs to earn God's favor and His grace. But I will tell you this, I do believe we go through trials. I do believe there may be seasons you're not rich. I do believe some people may never be rich and still be a disciple. And so you have to understand that your circumstance doesn't dictate who you are. And we know that we serve a good God. Can I get an amen? Amen. We know that God wants the best for us. We know that God loves us. We know that God wants us to be wealthy and healthy and wise and all the stuff. But let me tell you, more than that, He wants His name famous. 
He wants His kingdom glorified. He doesn't want us to be casual, comfortable Christians. He wants the world to see these men and women are sold out after me. They are disciples and followers of Christ. More than anything else. And that's what we must understand. So I'm not saying throw yourself in a situation that's hard. But I am saying situations that are hard are coming. Don't be, don't, don't be surprised. Surprise! Let me just kind of help. Surprise! You know, because I think we have people come to church and we give them all the candy. And never tell them, hey, listen, it's tough. However, man, in the midst of trials, I got peace that passes all understanding. I got joy that doesn't come based on what I got. And it is something that even if I don't get my reward on earth, I have eternal rewards. And as the American church, I'm concerned that that has not been our focus. You know, you look at Pastor Youssef in Iran, who was just hung for his Christian belief because he would not renounce Islam. You tell him that his best life is now. You tell his kids right now that God's going to deliver you. Well, we believed for him over in Sugarland. We were praying for him. I know when you're watching, you were hearing the, 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 the chatter and praying. How many of you guys think, man, God, deliver the man. But somehow in God's sovereignty, he saw that his glory would be made famous by a man standing up for his principles. And I'll tell you, I believe that there's not a day too far in the future that young people... That us, we're going to be persecuted for our faith. Don't be surprised if you're thrown in jail. Don't say, oh God, what did I do wrong? No, what did you do right? Thrown in the lion's den. God, it's because I wouldn't bow to the pressures of society. And Lord, I declare I'm a disciple. I'm not a casual Christian. And God, no matter what kind of hell comes against me, I will bring glory and honor to you and to your kingdom. That's the kind of church we are at Triumph. That's the kind of people we have in this house. Can I get an amen? amen. So we want to talk about the following Jesus. Follow me. But before we do, I want to kind of lay out a backdrop. Matthew 16, 24, this is what we previously read. You know, that Jesus says to his disciple, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever's been on saving his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. We read that previously, but let me put some context to this. Let me kind of give you the backdrop of this verse. If you'll go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus says this from that time, or it says this from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day he'd be raised to life. This is the backdrop of the story of the rich young ruler. And you say, well, what is the point of this? The point is this. They knew he was the Messiah as of this moment. Matthew 16, 16, it goes back. He says, Jesus asked them, who am I? Do you remember that? He tells disciples, hey, who am I? And Peter so eloquently answers, you are the, you are the Christ. You're some good prophet. Is that what he said? You're a good man. You're worthy of us just to, to like you. No, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus in these verses, he said, listen, good, you got that. Because you have to know who I am 
Not what society says I am. Not what others believe I might be. You've got to know it because something is about to happen that you really don't expect. You say, well, what is that? Well, see, they thought that Jesus was going to come triumphantly and overthrow an earthly government. So he had to establish, you got to know I'm the Messiah because when things go down and it's different than what you think should happen, it's different than what you expected to happen, you got to say, I know my God. I know he's the Messiah. I know in these difficult times, I don't understand, but I know who he is. So he sets that foundation because he's shifting their paradigm. They're about to go through the hardest time in their life. If there ever was a time someone would turn from being a disciple, it would be in this season. Their minds were not prepared. And so he's telling them, I'm going to die. They're okay, yeah, that's great. You know, he must be talking figuratively. figuratively, But surely he's going to be a triumphant king and we're all going to rule and reign in the earth. And then that's where this verse comes back, the uh, Matthew 16, 24. So under that understanding of he knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows that he's about to die. He knows the persecution. He knows the hurt and the pain. He says, if anyone desires to be my disciple, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. I'm going to die. Now, they didn't fully understand this at that moment, but you can bet That after he gave his life, he was buried and he rose again. They understood we got to follow him. In fact, all but one would die for their faith. Now, I'm not saying that God is calling us to die physically right now. I will tell you this. There are some that he is. But the question is, will we live for him dying to the flesh? Living a life of sacrifice and giving all and saying, God, I choose to live for you. You got to understand there is a great cost for discipleship. So let's dive in. What is a distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ? I believe in verse 24, he gives us distinguishing marks of a disciple. First one in verse 24, he says, if anyone desires to be my disciple, desires, there's a longing, there's a a craving on the inside that no one is forcing you to have this relationship. I remember Phyllis, we've been married 12 years now, and she is my best friend in the whole world. And I remember when we began our friendship, before we were engaged, before we got married, it was interesting when I... Spend time with her. I desired to be with her even more. What I learned about her intrigued me and, 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 and sparked a desire on the inside that it was like, I got to have more of this woman. She is incredible. This is a desire. Nobody said, Jim, you have to go spend time with that girl. I mean, I know, but God willed that you would do it. You got to go. No, no, there was a desire. I was like, woo! Yeah, she said, hey, let's, let's spend time. Absolutely. Yes, honey. Oh, you want to talk on the porch? We'll talk on the porch. You want to talk on the phone? The desire, and it's still going today. Hallelujah. Oh, that's right. But I wonder with Jesus, if we have that desire. It's a clear indication if that desire is on the inside, you're, you're probably a disciple. If it's not, you know what? There's no God. There's no desire. 
Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he gives us the desire to want more of him. You say, well, I don't have any desire. Well, you probably didn't respond to him the last time he called to you. You know, if I told Phyllis when she called, no, I don't think I'm going to spend time with you today. She called back, no, I don't think I'm going to spend time with you today. How many know my heart and her heart's going to get cold? She may love me, but that response is what kindles it. Now, God's love for us never gets cold, but I'll tell you, he ain't going to make you do anything. And so there's this response to the desire of God on the inside that has to say, God, I respond to you. Why? Because I'm a disciple. Why? Because Jesus is calling you and you love him and there's something on the inside that draws you to him. You're a disciple. The desire is part of the cost of discipleship. Well, what's another distinguishing mark? Well, keep going down verse 24. He says, let him deny himself. Oh, you mean deny? I don't want to hurt. I don't want to deny. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting here. He didn't say, and God will deny you. He said, let him deny himself. That means there's a part of you that responds to God. And then out of that, you say, I put away the things of this world. Out of that response, I have to make a choice. Say choice. You got to make a choice and then act on it. You deny the things that God's telling you to get rid of. Well, what does that mean? That means disregard. Pay no attention. Leave out. Ignore it. Lose sight of. Forget yourself. Forget the interests that your flesh wants so badly to be a part of. And you say, well, oh, man, that's hard. It is hard. And in America, I believe it's harder because it's bred in the DNA of who we are. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, there's a, a key phrase that I think perpetuates that American dream mentality inside of us. It says where he is endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I agree with the life. I agree with the liberty. But you are not guaranteed and called to pursue happiness over the kingdom of God. So it's countercultural to God's kingdom, and it's inbred in who we are. So that means your very life has to be countercultural to what we've created in the United States. Oh, we have the association of being a Christian, but that ain't right. He didn't say pursue happiness, and then if you can, fulfill my kingdom and my works. No, no. My Bible says, seek ye first. The kingdom of God. And then all these things would be added. But what we do sometimes in the churches is we say, God, we can pursue this and we can pursue that. No, no. You pursue that. And if he gives you this, that's good. But if he doesn't, we know that in eternity I will be rich. I will be wealthy. And I'll tell you, 70 years, eternity. God, give me the things of eternity. God, let me sacrifice and deny the things of this earth. And you say, well, where do I start? You start with the thing he's telling you to stop. So I'm not going to tell you a list of things. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, no. What is God speaking to you to deny yourself of? Well, I know that's good. See, Christianity is practical. 
I, I don't need the greatest revelation right now. I just need to obey the last word from God. Oh, and as I obey, give me some revelation. But sometimes we get so spiritual that we don't do the practical and we wonder why we live defeated lives. God, I want to be practical and whatever revelation you pour, let it be an overflow of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we deny ourselves not to be a martyr, but to be obedient. What is it he's asking you to give up? So there's the desire, the self-denial. What's another mark of a disciple where he clearly says in verse 24, take up his cross. Take up his cross. We naturally embrace the things that we love that bring pleasure, but we run from the things we hate, we fear, and things that bring pain. How many know it's hard to run to a cross? I don't want to run to something and embrace the very thing that causes pain in my life. You say, well, uh, that, how do you practically do it? Well, are you at a job where someone is rough on you? They say bad things about you. They mistreat you. They, they do things that are not godly, that are not even, they're, they're not even humane the way they talk about you and do things. But God said, I want you to stay there. That's your cross. I remember working at a place uh, for quite some time. And uh, my direct boss was very, very hard on me. Very hard on me. See, my, every single time I walked in there, I didn't do something right. I didn't jump high enough. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't do the right thing. And I'll never forget, you know, I'd come home. I'd be like, man, this thing, I, I could do other things. And I always came back to this. God, you put me here. This is my cross. I choose to carry it with joy and gladness. And every hurtful and mean thing that was said, I would respond in love. I would respond in honor. I would respond the way that God would want me. Not every. Sometimes I'd fail and I'd have to take another lap around the mountain. I'd be like, maybe that's why I was there so long. <laughs> God said, you'd only been there 40 days, but my God. <laughs> And so carrying your cross is not going to cut down a tree, shape it in a cross, and walk down the road. It might be in some form or fashion. But can you be nice to your spouse that's an unbeliever? Can you honor those around you? Can you love your child that has run from God, that cusses you out, that treats you bad, that steals all your stuff? Can you be nice to the people around you? Can you embrace some of the circumstances that are tough? The whole time saying, God, deliver me. But also with the mentality, God, if you don't deliver me, you're embracing your cross. Pastor Yusuf, I can't imagine he has two kids and a, and a wife. And, and I remember pulling up his picture and just leaving it on my desktop, praying for him. I can't imagine he's like, God, let me die. God, let him hang me. No, the whole time he's believing, God, if it's your will, set me free. God, and I know his wife, God set him free. You know, he had an international fame and recognition, and it looked like they postponed it. But till the end, I can't imagine he's just saying, yeah, let it do it. But God, if I'm not delivered, receive the glory. See, it's a different mentality. It doesn't cause us to turn from our faith when bad things happen. We turn from our faith because I question if we're disciples. 
And I, I have to tell you, the thing is, when bad things happen, we've got to embrace the cross more. God, you give joy in tough situations. You give peace that passes all understanding. God, you give hope when it seems hopeless. That's when we go to those things and we say, God, I know that I can do this and do it well so that you're glorified. You've got to embrace that situation. In fact, Matthew chapter 10 verse 38 says, And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Luke chapter 14 verse 27. Just ponder these scriptures. This one here is, uh, it'll make you have a gut check. Luke chapter 14, 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross... And follow me cannot be my disciple. And I'm with you. Listen, I don't like trouble. I don't like pain. I'm a sissy. My wife, man, she's she birthing babies and she's good. And thank you, Jesus. I don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to be a disciple. And that's why I've got strong people like your pastors, my wife, my family around me, Bishop, that when we go through hard times... We say, you know, I don't understand. Just, just encourage me. Tell me. Talk to me. You know, I remember losing uh, Tina. Just tell me. It's okay. We're going to make it. It ain't fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't matter. I'm a disciple. Embracing the cross is a distinguishing mark. The last mark of a disciple that we'll talk about this morning. There's, there's others, but let's finish with this. It's a follower of Jesus. In verse 24, he just says, follow me. Follow me. When Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he knew where he was going. You may not know where you're going. You may be lost and confused in your own mind. You thought you had a five-year and a ten-year plan, and it hadn't gone anything according to that plan. God knows where he's sending you. You just follow him. How do I follow him? Day in and day out. God, I love you. God, I'm going to serve you. I listen and I obey. When you tell me to do something, I'll do it. God, I'm here. I'm your man. I'm your woman. I will follow you. You come to church. You pray. You read your Bible. You do what God is telling you to do. And that is a life of following Jesus. And I was thinking of a visual that would allow us to see what the disciples saw. And experience this the way that they did. So I want you to see, if anyone desires to be my disciple and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And many of the disciples died. Peter hung upside down on the cross. So they understood when he said, follow me. It's not a candy-coated Christianity. God is good. We live blessed lives. But if it's not exactly how I wanted it, that's okay. Follow me. Cleave steadfastly. Adhere closely. Remain faithful in the midst of persecution and trial. Conform wholly to the image of Jesus and his example. So what would Jesus do? It's not just a fad or a trend. It has to be a lifestyle. God, I'm a disciple. I will follow you. What would you do in this situation? An invitation to die 
is really our invitation to live. And that's our challenge as Triumph Church, is will we live the gospel outside of these four walls? If all we do is come in here, get Jesus, go back to our regular lives, we are going to see a generation lost. We're going to lose this nation, and many of us will live defeated lives. However, if... We continue to challenge ourselves and say, God, we're going to live as disciples. God, we're going to follow hard after you, as many in here already do. I promise you this, no matter how bad it gets in the world, no matter how dark it gets, we will be a remnant of light, of power, of glory in this earth. And regardless of what the devil does, he will not win. Sincere desire. God Rekindle the fire inside of me. God, if I've said no to you, I change that. Let me respond to you. Self-denial. God, I'm going to give up whatever it is you've asked me to give. You know what he's told you. You know what the Holy Spirit has already initiated. Just give it up. How long? Maybe forever. Embrace the cross, whatever situation. Pray that God's favor would be in your life. But if your situation doesn't change... God, you receive glory in this trial. And then we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be lifelong disciples. I challenge each and every one of us to live our lives as disciples. Not casual Christians. Comfortable, complacent, pursuing the American dream. But let us rise up and be the army that God has called us to be. Let me pray. Father, right now, I pray that your word would saturate our heart. God, that every situation, every circumstance, Lord, that you would touch us, change us. Help us, oh God, to continue to pursue you. Lord, the times we get distracted, the times we get sidetracked. Father, I pray that you would realign our focus. Help us as the body of Christ to be men and women that make a difference, that our lives display your glory. Father, I declare and decree that we are the triumphant church. And Lord, that you would be demonstrated through our lives. And God, those that are watching, Lord, that you would permeate their lives in their homes right now. Whatever they're doing, God, that you would fill them with your power. Lord, I declare freedom now by your blood. We thank you for what you're doing. We give you glory. We give you honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.
4, he gives us distinguishing marks of a disciple. First one in verse 24, he says, if anyone desires to be my disciple. Desires. There's a longing. There's a a craving on the inside that no one is forcing you to have this relationship. I remember Phyllis. We've been married 12 years now. And she is my best friend in the whole world. And I remember when we began our friendship, before we were engaged, before we got married, it was interesting when I... Spend time with her. I desired to be with her even more. What I learned about her intrigued me and and, and, and sparked a desire on the inside that it was like, I got to have more of this woman. She is incredible. This is a desire. Nobody said, Jim, you have to go spend time with that girl. I mean, I know, but God willed that you would do it. You got to go. No, no. There was a desire. I was like, woo. Yeah, she said, hey, let's, let's spend time. Absolutely. Yes, honey. Oh, you want to talk on the porch? We'll talk on the porch. You want to talk on the phone? The desire, and it's still going today. Hallelujah. Oh, that's right. But I wonder with Jesus if we have that desire. It's a clear indication if that desire is on the inside, you're, you're probably a disciple. If it's not, you know what? There's no God. There's no desire. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he gives us the desire to want more of him. You say, well, I don't have any desire. Well, you probably didn't respond to him the last time he called to you. You know, if I told Phyllis when she called, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to spend time with you today. She called back, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to spend time with you today. How I many know my heart and her heart's going to get cold? She may love me, but that response is what kindles it. Now, God's love for us never gets cold, but I'll tell you, he ain't going to make you do anything. And so there's this response to the desire of God on the inside that has to say, God, I respond to you. Why? Because I'm a disciple. Why? Because Jesus is calling you and you love him. And there's something on the inside that draws you to him. You're a disciple. The desire is part of the cost of discipleship. Well, what's another distinguishing mark? Well, keep going down verse 24. He says, let him deny himself. Oh, you mean deny? I don't want to hurt. I don't want to deny. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting here, he didn't say, and God will deny you. He said, let him deny himself. That means there's a part of you that responds to God. And then out of that, you say, I put away the things of this world. Out of that response, I have to make a choice. Say choice. You got to make a choice and then act on it. You deny the things that God's telling you to get rid of. Well, what does that mean? That means disregard. Pay no attention. Leave out. Ignore it. Lose sight of. Forget yourself. Forget the interests that your flesh want so badly to be a part of. And you say, well, oh, man, that's hard. It is hard. And in America, I believe it's harder because it's bred in the DNA of who we are. 
In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, there's a, a key phrase that I think perpetuates that American dream mentality inside of us. It says where he is endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I agree with the life. I agree with the liberty. But you are not guaranteed and called to pursue happiness over the kingdom of God. So it's countercultural to God's kingdom, and it's inbred in who we are. So that means your very life has to be countercultural to what we've created in the United States. Oh, we have the association of being a Christian, but that ain't right. He didn't say pursue happiness, and then if you can, fulfill my kingdom and my works. No, no. My Bible says, seek ye first. The kingdom of God, and then all these things would be added. But what we do sometimes in the churches is we say, God, we can pursue this and we can pursue that. No, no, you pursue that, and if he gives you this, that's good. But if he doesn't, we know that in eternity I will be rich. I will be wealthy. And I'll tell you, 70 years, eternity. God, give me the things of eternity. God, let me sacrifice and deny the things of this earth. And you say, well, where do I start? You start with the thing he's telling you to stop. So I'm not going to tell you a list of things. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, no. What is God speaking to you to deny yourself of? Well, I know that's good. See, Christianity is practical. I don't need the greatest revelation right now. I just need to obey the last word from God. Oh, and as I obey, give me some revelation. But sometimes we get so spiritual that we don't do the practical and we wonder why we live defeated lives. God, I want to be practical and whatever revelation you pour, let it be an overflow of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we deny ourselves not to be a martyr, but to be obedient what is it he's asking you to give up? So there's the desire, the self-denial. What's another mark of a disciple where he clearly says in verse 24, take up his cross. Take up his cross. We naturally embrace the things that we love that bring pleasure, but we run from the things we hate, we fear, and things that bring pain. How many of you know it's hard to run to a cross? I don't want to run to something and embrace the very thing that causes pain in my life. You say, well, uh, that, how do you practically do it? Well, are you at a job where someone is rough on you? They say bad things about you. They mistreat you. They, they do things that are not godly, that are not even, they're, they're not even humane the way they talk about you and do things. But God said, I want you to stay there. That's your cross. I remember working at a place uh, for quite some time. And uh, my direct boss was very, very hard on me. Very hard on me. See, my every single time I walked in there, I didn't do something right. I didn't jump high enough. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't do the right thing. And I'll never forget. You know, I'd come home. I'd be like, man, this thing, I, I could do other things. And I always came back to this. God, you put me here. This is my cross. I choose to carry it with joy and gladness. And every hurtful and mean thing that was said, I would respond in love. I would respond in honor. I would respond the way that God would want me. Not every. Sometimes I'd fail and I'd have to take another lap around the mountain. 
I'd be like, maybe that's why I was there so long. <laughs> God said, you'd only been there 40 days, but my God. <laughs> and so carrying your cross is not going to cut down a tree, shape it in the cross and walk down the road. It might be in some form or fashion. But can you be nice to your spouse that's an unbeliever? Can you honor those around you? Can you love your child that has run from God, that cusses you out, that treats you bad, that steals all your stuff? Can you be nice to the people around you? Can you embrace some of the circumstances that are tough? The whole time saying, God, deliver me, but also with the mentality, God, if you don't deliver me, you're embracing your cross. Pastor Yusuf, I can't imagine he has two kids and a, and a wife. And, and I remember pulling up his picture and just leaving it on my desktop, praying for him. I can't imagine he's like, God, let me die. God, let him hang me. No, the whole time he's believing, God, if it's your will, set me free. God, and I know his wife, God set him free. You know, he had an international fame and recognition and it looked like they postponed it. But till the end, I can't imagine he's just saying, yeah, let it do it. But God, if I'm not delivered... Receive the glory. See, it's a different mentality. It doesn't cause us to turn from our faith when bad things happen. We turn from our faith because I question if we're disciples. And I I have to tell you, the thing is, when bad things happen, we've got to embrace the cross more. God, you give joy in tough situations. You give peace that passes all understanding. God, you give hope when it seems hopeless. That's when we go to those things and we say, God, I know that I can do this and do it well so that you're glorified. You've got to embrace that situation. In fact, Matthew chapter 10 verse 38 says, and anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Luke chapter 14 verse 27. Just ponder these scriptures. This one here is, uh, it'll make you have a gut check. Luke chapter 14, 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross... And follow me cannot be my disciple. And I'm with you. Listen, I don't like trouble. I don't like pain. I'm a sissy. (laughs) My wife, man, she's birthing babies and she's good. And thank you, Jesus. I don't like it. But you know what? I'm going to be a disciple. And that's why I've got strong people like your pastors, my wife, my family around me, Bishop, that when we go through hard times... We say, you know, I don't understand. Just, just encourage me. Tell me. Talk to me. You know, I remember losing uh, Tina. Just tell me. It's okay. We're going to make it. It ain't fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't matter. I'm a disciple. Embracing the cross is a distinguishing mark. The last mark of a disciple that we'll talk about this morning. There's, there's others, but let's finish with this. It's a follower of Jesus. In verse 24, he just says, follow me. Follow me. When Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he knew where he was going. You may not know where you're going. You may be lost and confused in your own mind. You thought you had a five-year and a ten-year plan, and it hadn't gone anything according to that plan. God knows where he's sending you. 
You just follow him. How do I follow him? Day in and day out. God, I love you. God, I'm going to serve you. I listen and I obey. When you tell me to do something, I'll do it. God, I'm here. I'm your man. I'm your woman. I will follow you. You come to church. You pray. You read your Bible. You do what God is telling you to do. And that is a life of following Jesus. And I was thinking of a visual that would allow us to see what the disciples saw and experience this the way that they did. So I want you to see this video. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption's here, where your blood was spilled, for my ransom, everything I
anyone desires to be my disciple and deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And many of the disciples died. Peter hung upside down on the cross. So they understood when he said, follow me. It's not a candy-coated Christianity. God is good. We live blessed lives. But if it's not exactly how I wanted it, that's okay. Follow me. Cleave steadfastly. Adhere closely. Remain faithful in the midst of persecution and trial. Conform wholly to the image of Jesus and his example. So what would Jesus do? It's not just a fad or a trend. It has to be a lifestyle. God, I'm a disciple. I will follow you. What would you do in this situation? An invitation to die is really our invitation to live. And that's our challenge as Triumph Church is will we live the gospel outside of these four walls? If all we do is come in here, get Jesus, go back to our regular lives, we are going to see a generation lost. We're going to lose this nation, and many of us will live defeated lives. However, if we continue to challenge ourselves and say, God, we're going to live as disciples. God, we're going to follow hard after you, as many in here already do. I promise you this, no matter how bad it gets in the world, no matter how dark it gets, we will be a remnant of light, of power, of glory in this earth. And regardless of what the devil does, he will not win. Sincere desire, God Rekindle the fire inside of me. God, if I've said no to you, I change that. Let me respond to you. Self-denial. God, I'm going to give up whatever it is you've asked me to give. You know what he's told you. You know what the Holy Spirit has already initiated. Just give it up. How long? Maybe forever. Embrace the cross. Whatever situation. Pray that God's favor would be in your life. But if your situation doesn't change... God, you receive glory in this trial. And then we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be lifelong disciples. I challenge each and every one of us to live our lives as disciples. Not casual Christians. Comfortable, complacent, pursuing the American dream. But let us rise up and be the army that God has called us to be. Let me pray. Father, right now, I pray that your word would saturate our heart. God, that every situation, every circumstance, Lord, that you would touch us, change us, help us, oh God, to continue to pursue you. Lord, the times we get distracted, the times we get sidetracked, Father, I pray that you would realign our focus. Help us as the body of Christ to be men and women that make a difference, that our lives display your glory. Father, I declare and decree that we are the triumphant church. And Lord, that you would be demonstrated through our lives. And God, those that are watching, Lord, that you would permeate their lives in their homes right now. Whatever they're doing, God, that you would fill them with your power. Lord, I declare freedom now by your blood. We thank you for what you're doing. We give you glory. We give you honor in Jesus' name. And everyone set? Amen. amen, amen. Pastor Dino's coming up to close up the service. Amen. What a wonderful word by Pastor Jim.